Whether you're a professional photographer or an amateur one taking pictures with a point-and-click camera, we often use filters to create different effects. Professional photographers will switch out lenses, put a filter cover. We simply use the ones that are provided by Android and uh, iPhone if we're amateurs. So if we want to get a black and white look, we will put on a black and white filter. If we want to get a vintage look, uh, a rustic look, then we will put on a filter that alters reality to give us the effect that we want. If we want to see only the red hues or the blue hues or the green colors, then we put on filters that simply allow those light beams to come through and we get some pretty cool effects. In the contemporary usage of a filter in the context of looking at life, we do that through the lenses of how we see the world. The wonders about filtering something is that it allows us to see what we want. But on the negative side, using a filter allows us to see only what is partially true. We don't get the reality of what the real world entails. Like it or not, we all live the life that we do through the filters of our experiences. We live life through the filters of our convictions. We, we do so through the filters of our worldview, our own biases. That's why when there are headline-grabbing news... There are such polar extremes of thoughts. For example, when it comes to something like the horrible killings of the cartoon satirist in the French headquarters of Charlie Hebdo, we take sides based on our filter of biases and experience. Some see the Islamic extremists for having all the faults. They should never have done what they do. Some fault the cartoonists for being provocateurs. Or like the killing of unarmed black men in America. Some side with the police officers who are simply doing their jobs, being cautious and defensive when their life is at stake. On the other side, some side with the black community because they believe law enforcement comes into their communities with a perceived bias. After suffering years of injustice, you cannot blame them. Even here in the Philippines, as we filter our perspective through the lenses of our own biases when it comes to something like Philippine politics. Some say there is no place for graft and corruption and theft. Others believe since all politicians steal, as long as they don't steal too much, as long as they do something to impact our community, then it's okay. We all look at the filter of our own life experiences and we do that even in our own Christian life. There is a filter that we look at that gives us the notion that somehow if we are to truly live out an authentic Christian life, if we are to live out a life that God is pleased with, then life for us will be a bed of roses. That my life will always be filled with joy. Yes, there may be sadness, but it's only temporary Yes, sometimes bad things will happen, but these things I will be able to overcome. If I live out the authentic Christian life, I will live a blessed life. But it is a blessing that I have defined. The reality is when we live out an authentic Christian life without any filters, it becomes very apparent that life is not as easy as we like it to be. 
In fact, the New Testament calls it cross-bearing. We are to carry the crosses of discipleship. You will be misunderstood. You will be branded as someone who is a religious fanatic, someone who is odd, someone who is an outcast. You will be wrongly accused for the motivations of why you do what you do. And yet the importance of living out an authentic Christian life is something that is stressed in the Scriptures. How then do we do so? How then do we live out the Christian life without filters? I believe part of the key is understanding the realities of what entails and what comes with living out an authentic Christian life. We have to see the reality of what life is actually like. And that's what we're going to take a look at these next few weeks as we begin our new series entitled No Filter, The Consequences of Authentic Living. And we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph these next few weeks to see what life is really like in the real world for someone like you and me who want to live out an authentic life what are the things that are going to be coming our way the first concept we want to look at this morning is the reality that when you don't have any filters you will come to the realization that life is not fair Life is not fair. Now, I know some of you understand that, but you have not internalized it. You are still living your life trying to make everything fair. Everything must be fair. And if life is not fair, then somehow I cannot go on with life. There are a lot of people who live like that. My children are at the stage now where everything must be equal. And if you have children, you will understand that stage Although they are very different in age and different in personalities and even in comprehension, for each of them, everything must be fair. It must be equality in their eyes. They must all have the same bedtime. One cannot have a bedtime that's one minute later than someone else. They must drink the same amount of milk, and I can see them as they put their cups together to see if the milk is to the same line. They don't like milk. They must have the same time on the iPad or on the computer. Yes, we do time them. They don't understand that sometimes we reward one child if they're obedient, or sometimes we take away privilege if they are not. They must all have the same equal time. And when you try to explain the ideas of benefits and consequences, they don't understand. It's not fair. They must have the same amount of time On the TV, they must rotate between picking which shows to watch. Even comes to food, they must have the same number of chicken McNuggets on their plate. Why in the world does McDonald's have their orders come in 10 nuggets? Do they not think of us families with three children? How do you divide 10 into three without starting World War III? And so I'm forced to eat one or four so that it becomes divisible by three. Once we begin this phase of our life, even as a child, it carries on until the day we die. Everything must be fair. Even how we die must be fair. For a life that is well lived, they must be deserving of a 
a good death. I want to take a look at the life of Joseph this morning. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 37. This entire chapter, perhaps second only to Job, in its intensity to show injustice after injustice after injustice to a man who doesn't seem to deserve it. Genesis chapter 37, if you're new to the Bible, the book of Genesis is the first book in the Bible. How God works in his life will show us some principles for how we can live an authentic Christian life without filters. In his life this morning, we will see that life is unfair. And what he goes through will give us three situations why life is unfair. Look with me in Genesis chapter 37, verse 1 and 2. The Bible reads this, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the story of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding his flock with his brothers. And the lad was with his sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. If you don't know the context of this passage, Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob. He is the oldest of the two sons of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. But he's still number 11 in the birth order. We find here as we begin the chapter that he is 17 years old and he's tending sheep with his older brothers. Now, I know you know this story well if you grew up in the church. And I want to caution you from reading your own perception into what the Scriptures really says. Sometimes we look at this and we think that Joseph was a bit of a jerk. You know, he was the little tattletale, that little sibling that if you're an older sibling, didn't like to have. He was the little kid that told mommy and daddy everything. And... We get angry when we think about that. Do you have to tell dad and mom everything? But remember not to read into the story of how you would feel if you were an older sibling having someone younger telling the bad things you do to your mom and dad. There is no indication in these first two verses that Joseph did anything wrong. In fact, he seems to be doing what Jacob asked him to do. Jump down in your Bibles with me to verses 12 to 14. Genesis chapter 37, verse 12 reads this. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. And Jacob said to Joseph, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring, note this, back word to me. So he sent him out to the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. It seems like Jacob liked to send Joseph to bring reports about his older brothers. Perhaps Joseph was one who was trustworthy. Someone his father knew would be honest. Perhaps a bit naive, but straight. And tell it like it is. All Joseph is doing is faithfully bringing back an honest report of what his older brothers were doing. And apparently they were up to no good. And what I want you to see in these first few verses 
is the first reason why life is unfair. Number one of your taking notes. Number one reason why life is unfair is because we have no control over our family background. Life is unfair because we have no choice over our family background. There was nothing Joseph could do to be the son of Rachel, while all his older half-brothers were from other women. It was not his fault that there would be tension in the family. He had no say in his birth order. He had no say into the family to which he would be born into. There was nothing he could do if his brothers were up to no good. And now he was stuck with the responsibility given by dad to give an accurate report of how his sons were doing. He had no choice. Life is unfair. Just like you and I. You and I don't have a choice in our ethnicity. You and I don't have a choice in our skin color, our height, our initial weight. After that, we do have a choice. You and I have no choice in the country of our birth, into the family wealth into which you would be born. You didn't have a choice if you would be born into a rich, wealthy family or into a family of poverty. You didn't have a choice if you were born into a family with a great spiritual heritage or into a dysfunctional, broken family. It is out of your control. That's why life is unfair. But what I want you to see here is, regardless of the family situation into which Joseph was born into, he was still faithful to what his father asked him to do. He was still honest. You see, even though life is unfair because of your family background, it does not preclude you from living out a Christian life. Because life is unfair because of your family background, it has no bearing on how you live your life. It is not an excuse. Yes, life is unfair, but you are still called to live a life of responsibility. Do you understand? Can you imagine the situation where your ten older brothers hate you? Where your father gives you a responsibility that will make them hate you even more? Where you are the son of a woman who everyone else is jealous with. You have every reason not to live your life for God. And yet life is not fair. But it is not a reason why you cannot live the authentic Christian life. Look at verse 3 and verse 4 with me. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic, a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Israel, also known as Jacob, did not attend any parenting class. He did not know that you're not supposed to show favoritism to your children. The father was not even discreet about the son he loved the most. He loved Joseph. And he made sure everyone knew about it by making him a coat, a robe of many colors. 
This was not the fault of Joseph. He could not control what his father thought of. What do you expect Joseph to do? Hey, hey dad, stop loving me so much. Can't imagine a child ever saying that to their parents. Stop loving me so much. Please, please, please don't give me any more gifts. Make sure everyone gets a gift before you give me something. But because of his father's obvious favoritism and special gifts, it made his brothers hate him even more. Because not only was Joseph an informant in their eyes for their father, but how much he loved him more than they. Please don't read into the Bible more than what it says. Some of us have the notion that Joseph, when he got his coat of many color, began to flaunt it. Look at my coat. It's a modern interpretation because of some musicals. They had to put in a song there of the coat of many colors. This is from the perspective of the father. Jacob erred when he showed blatant favoritism to Joseph. What is Joseph to do? And this comes and shows us a second reason for why life is unfair, number two. Life is unfair. Life is not fair because you can't control someone else's attitude and perception. Life is not fair because you can't control someone else's attitude and perception about you. However much you want someone to like you, you can't get everyone to like you. You have no control over what other people think about you, whether what they think about you is right or it is wrong. You, you have no choice. You have no control over it. Just like Joseph had no control over his father's favoritism or his brother's anger and hatred, you have no control over what people think about you. So stop worrying about it. Stop worrying what other people perceive you to be. You just live out a faithful life. Notice that Joseph went about his business in spite of what his brothers thought about him. He did as he was asked by his father. And I believe his father trusted him. He was faithful to tell the truth. It is consistent with his character as we're going to see these next few weeks. And all the more, his brothers hated him. Joseph could do no right. Hey, brothers, I'll let you wear this on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Just give me Saturday. Let's share the coat. Oh, they'd never be happy. What is he supposed to do? Go up to his brothers? Well, you know, yeah, dad likes me because I'm the youngest. But he loves you just the same. They wouldn't believe that. Joseph could do nothing to change their perception of him. And so he went about the task that he was called to do in faithfulness. Well, look what else happens. He begins to dream. Verse 5 to verse 8. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamt. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheave arose and stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dream. And note this, for his word. Joseph had a dream. 
Maybe he was naive or he had no clue that his brothers didn't like him very much. But just like you and me, whenever we have a dream, a vivid one, a special one, we share it with our family, who probably doesn't even care. It's, it's only a dream, but we share it. In all my years in the pastorate, I've never had someone come up to me and say, you know what, I hate that other person because he dreamed this about me. It, it's a dream. But remember, we are not to interpret this more than what the Bible tells us. Notice that Joseph is not the one interpreting this dream. Who's interpreting this dream? It is the brothers. Through the filter of their own eyes, they hear about this dream, and they say, these 11 must be us. These sheaves who bow must be us. Joseph could do no right. Because when you look to the filter of bias, if you look to the filter of anger... That person can do no right. It's a simple dream. And they took it against Joseph and hated him even more. Now, we know the story. We know how this ends. And we know that this is a prophetic dream. But but Joseph doesn't know this. But the word hated is repeated both in verse 5 and verse 8 to show how their brothers, with every fiber of their being, hated him. Now, we're going to find out that Joseph has a very special ability. He was chosen by God to have his future prophetic will revealed to the dreams of Joseph. And God did that often in the Old Testament. One dream is okay, I guess, but he has another dream. Look at verse 9 to verse 11. Then Joseph's dream, still another dream, and told it to his brothers and said, Look! I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and uh, the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. He's excited. And his fathers rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Should your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Here in the second dream that is recorded, we have 11 stars, the sun and the moon bowing. You know, ever since I've heard this story growing up in the church, to this day, I have no idea how a star bows. I have no idea. But it bowed. I can't wait to get to heaven and ask Joseph, what did your dream look like? But that's not the point. Notice the reaction of the father. Again, the father and the mother reads into the dream their interpretation. Joseph, you mean we have to bow to you? So did the brothers who saw the stars as themselves. Joseph is not interpreting these dreams. It is the people with biases and filters who are seeing these dreams against them. Perhaps this is a glimpse into the hardness of their heart. But I want you to notice something in verse 11. Look with me. Notice there is a word that changed. Notice the attitude in the description. In verse 8, the word is hatred. In verse 11, what's the word? The word is envy. From hatred to envy. 
And note that Jacob kept the matter in his heart. Now, I don't want to read too much into the description here, but it seems like everyone knew that there was something to these dreams. Perhaps they knew it was true that God had chosen Joseph to elevate him over his older brothers, and they couldn't accept that. And so they began to envy him. The father also knew that something was up with this boy. Jacob knew personally that God spoke to his family through dreams and visions. Remember, in Genesis 28, he also had one at Bethel when he saw the angels going up and down to heaven. This second dream confirmed that God was choosing this faithful young man, Joseph. He was the chosen one, so he kept it in his heart. The brothers knew that there was something special about these dreams. But in the filter of their bias, they could not and would not accept. And so they hated and were envious of this young man. My friends, people will often make wrong impressions of you. It will be made based on their own biases, their own opinions, what they hear from others, their own perspective. Is that unfair? You want to shout out, but you don't know me. It is absolutely unfair. But it shows that life isn't fair. And there's nothing you can do about it except to go on and live your life. Joseph is honest, he is faithful, and his brothers were vengeful and hateful. Joseph Joseph dreamed, and he dreamed the dreams that God gave him, even though he drew the ire and the annoyance of his family. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. It matters what God thinks about you. Life is not fair. Will you live your life for him? Larry Carter, president of Great Lakes Christian College, tells this following true story. He says, I remember when I was a kid, some 40 years ago, I was playing on a little league baseball team. One of the things the coaches did was to host a picnic for the team at the beginning of the season. And so we ate hot dogs and hamburgers, and he set us all down for a pep talk. He asked us little boys who loved playing baseball, how many of you have a dream to one day play in the major leagues, which is the upper echelon of professional baseball? Every kid's hand almost shot up immediately. They believed that one day they would play in the major leagues. You could see it in their eyes, Larry says. And the coach says, if this is to happen, that dream begins now. You practice hard, you play hard. Larry says, I was so inspired by my coach's challenge that we all practiced and played hard, and we went undefeated for the next few years. All-star teams from other divisions and other leagues would play us, and they were loose. We all had a dream and we would be major league baseball players. Some 25 years later, Larry recounts, I became a little league coach myself. And so I did what my coach did. I brought all the kids together at the beginning of the season, threw them a picnic, and gave them a pep talk. The very same one my coach gave me. I asked my team the same question. How many of you have the dream to one day play in the major leagues? Not one raised their hands. Not one kid believed he could do it. You could see it in their eyes. 
The rest of my talk was meaningless. Really? I thought, nobody? Larry says, I thought about that day for a long, long time. What happened in the 25 years since I was a kid? What has come into their lives and stolen their dreams? I've thought about the very same thing this week. Something has happened to our generation of believers today. We're soft. We have no dreams. We're so afraid about what other people think that we cannot dream big things for God. And so we dream very little or we dream not at all. Because in spite of the amazing God that we have, we're so scared about what people will think about us. That's why in our generation today, unfortunately, there are no D.L. Moody's. There are no Bill Bright's. There are no Cam Townsend's. Why? Why are there no Hudson Taylors of today who dream big as he sailed across the Pacific not knowing a word of Chinese said, I will bring Christ to China. What's happened? What has happened in this generation is that we are so concerned with what people think that we do not dream. That we do not dream big. Everyone thought I was crazy to come back to Grace 10 years ago. I'm not a dreamer. I'm not a visionary. Prior to that, I was a visiting pastor. You knew if you were here, I came and went. And when the invitation was extended to me to become the senior pastor here, I said, let me pray about it. The reality is I wanted to ask people what the condition of this church would be. I asked the community about what they thought about grace, and it was not a good thought. The perception was ill. It was discouraging, as you would know. People were leaving every other week. We were begging people to stay at our church. In my mind, the notion that I would be crazy to come back here, and so I'd already made it a point not to come back. And I was thinking how I would break it, not only to my father, but to the board here. But I remember on a particular trip, uh, on 2002 or 2003, uh, I usually sleep very well. It was a 16-hour flight from Manila back to the U.S. And it's always annoying when you see everyone else sleeping, but you can't sleep. That I had seen the movies already, and so I just kind of stared out. I'm usually not pensive like this. And so I began to look out. It was a moonless night, and so the stars were shining. There was no light pollution, and I just stared out. And I'm not trying to be mystical here, but there was a, a deep burden. And I began to dream and to envision, as God has placed in my heart, what God can do with a church like Grace. Because when I looked out into the sky, I realized how small I am and how big God is. That's the perspective when you get into a tin can flying 500 miles per hour 
in the spaciousness of the sky, you realize how insignificant you are, but you realize how big God is. And with the greatness of God in my mind, I began to dream of what God could do and can do. I'm not going to tell you all the details of what he envisioned and placed in my heart because we're not there yet. But that's one of the turning points of why I made the decision to come back. What dreams do you have for living a life for God? What changes do you envision in your own life even though everyone says you will not change? This is who they are. They will always be like this. What is the dream you have for yourself? Not to prove them wrong because you can do no right in their eyes. But to show what the amazing God can do in your life, what are you dreaming about your spiritual walk with Him? Because I know that He can call up into this church men and women like Hudson Taylor and Elizabeth Elliot. People like Cam Townsend. If you don't know these names, you better read some Christian biographies. People like Bill Bright, Dennis Rainey. People who had a vision and a dream to do something great for God and didn't care what people thought of their dream because it was God-given. And they were able, with God's help, to shake this world for Him. So as you're sitting there in the pews this morning, it doesn't matter what others think about you. It matters what you do. Because we've thought long enough and we've pulled back scared. But God is giving you a vision. And God is giving you a dream and how you are to live your life. It doesn't matter what they think. It matters what you do. So go out and dream. And see God work through those dreams to fulfill the vision He has for you in your life. The authentic Christian life. Verse 12 onwards. In verse 12 to verse 14, we find out that Jacob sends Joseph once again to report on his brothers. But then they see Joseph coming, verse 18, and they conspired to kill him. Look with me as I read verse 18 to 20. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. You can see the hardness of their heart. So ravaged by the filter of their bias they could not think rationally. They were going to take the life of their own flesh and blood, deep-seated in hatred and envy, they would kill their young brother. I want to direct you to the words of the brother in verse 20. We shall see what will become of his dreams. It's almost a challenge to God. If they knew that his dreams were special, God-given, which the text seems to indicate that they do. 
It's as if they're challenging God and saying, okay, God, you've got this vision for Joseph's life. Well, let us deal with it. We're going to cut it off right there. If he's dead, he can't live out his dreams. And so they said, let's kill him. Reuben, the oldest, perhaps now with a bit of conscience, maybe due to his maturity, said, hey, let's just drop Joseph into the pit. He had hopes to save him later. Don't think of Reuben as being honorable. He could have stopped this a long time ago. Can you imagine that in their desire to kill him, which was unconscionable, they could even have the time to sit down and have a meal. Look at verse 25, 27. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, bombs, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brother, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our faith and of our flesh. And his brothers listened. Got to leave it to Judah, the moneymaker. Hey, you know, if we kill him, we make no money. Let's sell him as a slave. We'll never see him again. I know these caravans. It's on its way to Egypt. Far, far away, we'll never see him again. So my conscience, our conscience can be clear that we didn't kill him because he is our brother in our flesh, but we only sold him into slavery and we'll never see him again. How convoluted the justification in one's mind when they look through the filter of sin. And so they sold him into slavery and deceived his father by using goat's blood and dipping the robe into that blood, pretending as if a wild animal had killed Joseph. Verse 33, the father was heartbroken. And Jacob recognized the coat and said, this is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him without doubt. Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons and all of his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. I've read that passage often. And I've always wondered... How can those brothers, all ten of them, comfort their father? Do you ever think about that? And say it's okay. When they're seeing their father crying, he is discouraged. Not one brother spoke up. Not even one brother, not even Reuben, who had a, had a, had a glimmer of compassion, would say to the father, Dad, sorry, but this is really what happened. Why? I believe it's because they were scared of what the other brother thought. And that's how we are. We're so afraid about what other people would think. Who's the one that's going to break the circle of trust that we have? Who's the one that's going to stand up for what is right? Not a single one of these brothers. And they had the audacity, verse 35 tells us, all of his sons came to comfort him. Dad, it's going to be okay. Life is not fair. The father mourns thinking his son is dead. 
Joseph, the honest, the faithful young man, is sold into slavery on his way to the foreign land of Egypt, a, a land he does not know, a language and a people he does not know. And these conniving brothers seem to have gotten away with it. The circumstances of life just seem to happen. And you can say that Joseph was in the wrong place at the wrong time, or that he was born to the family. But you know what? It is what it is. And we see the third reason here in these verses why life is not fair. Number three, we see that life is not fair because we have no control over the circumstances of our life. Life is not fair because we have no control over the circumstances of our life. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Life is not fair. But remember, the circumstances of your life does not preclude you from living a faithful life. I've often wondered, it would have made a great movie if there was a verse here, where Joseph then screams in revenge as he is dragged screaming into slavery, I will get you back. Wouldn't that be great? We know the end of the story. And then he could tell the brothers at the end, I told you so, I'd get you back. Silence. None of this, wait till I get back and tell dad what you did. They would have just laughed and waved him off. Not a, not a hint of pleading. And it's very interesting, throughout the life of Joseph, in these next few weeks, we're going to find out that he often just simply accepts circumstances as coming from God. You find him very calm. It's as if Joseph has accepted life's circumstance, and boy, will it be a roller coaster of a ride, as we're going to see. I'm not trying to make him and paint him to be some patron saint. Was he scared? I bet you he was scared. Was he uncertain? I'm sure he was uncertain. But he didn't let his circumstance affect his character. He didn't let his circumstances affect his character. Your true character, men and women, come out truly when you encounter adverse circumstances. The real you, the true you, comes out when you encounter circumstances that do not benefit you. When you go through trials, As Joseph did, you should not let your circumstance affect your walk with God. Life is not fair. You can't control circumstances, but that is not a reason why you cannot live a life for God. You say, well, pastor, what a depressing way to start the series. I know. The story only gets worse. But you know, I love this last line. This is not one of those depressing chapters because there's a, a glimmer of hope. Look what verse 36 says. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. God knows what he's doing. God is working even though life is unfair. 
of all the families that Joseph could be sold to in North Africa, Egypt, Libya, he was sold into the household of a man by the name of Potiphar. And who was Potiphar? He could have been a gardener. But no, he was the captain of the guard. He was the regimental leader of the Egyptian army. And of all the regiments of the Egyptian army, this was the regiment that guarded Pharaoh himself. When life is uncertain, God gives us hope. You may not understand it, I may not understand it, but it's there. Of all the families God orchestrated that Joseph would be sold into slavery, yes, not fair, into the household of Potiphar, who was very close to Pharaoh himself. Life being unfair is no reason why you cannot live out the authentic Christian life. You have no justification. Your family background does not preclude you from following God. Other people's perception of you or what they think about you should not affect the way you live for God. And since circumstances are outside of your control, whatever you're going through, you keep your godly character. Life may be unfair, but there's one thing that we all will experience. I guess there's only one thing that's fair in our life. There used to be a saying, there's only two certainties in life, death and taxes. But in the Philippines, since many of us don't pay taxes, there's only one certainty in life, and that's death. We will all experience death. Whether you're 100 or you're 50 or 10, whether you're Chinese or you're Filipino or American or a mix of everything, you will experience death. It is the one common thing that drives humanity. We will all see death. And it is in this commonality that Jesus gave everyone the opportunity for eternal life. Because he offers a life of salvation a life of eternity with Him for those who place their trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Whether you're sick, whether you're poor, destitute, whether you're the wealthiest man or woman alive, whether you're 100 years old or 50 years old or 10 years old, Jesus Christ came and died for you and me and gave us the privilege of accepting and receiving Him into our life. That's the only fair thing in life. But if you think about it, it is the unfairness of life that we are able to have salvation. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. You know, here we are clamoring for fairness, equality. Okay, if you want life to be fair, then all of us, including me, are deserving of hell. My sins come with it, hell. That's it. It's as simple as that. I am deserving of hell. But because life is unfair, that the Father sent the Son and put upon the Son the sins of the world, so that which I deserve now no longer is with me. It goes to Jesus Christ. He dies in my place. The greatest injustice done to man. 
it is because life is unfair that I have eternal life. Think about that. The next time you want to complain about life not being fair, remember, it is because life is unfair that you received salvation. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that life is unfair. Because if I got what I deserved, I would not be standing here. If I got what I deserved, I would have no hope. I would, I would be going to hell. But yet you put the greatest injustice on your son, Jesus Christ, to put upon him my sins and the sins of the world. By simply trusting in him, I receive the greatest inequality that I get to live because my Savior died. Help us as the church, each person here this morning, to understand that there are no excuses to the reality that life is not fair. It isn't. We just faithfully live out the life that you call us to dream the dream you want us to dream. To live for you in spite of what people have it out for us. And the next time we're tempted to complain why there's no equality in this life, help us to remember that it is because life is not fair that we are able to receive salvation. Bless your people this morning. Allow the Spirit to work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.